0: Welcome to the Virtual Velo Podcast powered by the Zemunike. We are exercise and physical therapists, performance coaches, and live stream broadcasting pioneers. But most of all, we're passionate about cycling and immersed in the virtual cycling community. Our goal is to inform, inspire, and challenge you. Come take a conversational ride with us. Hello, everybody. Uh, We've got a, a good crew with us today, our regulars. Joy, how have things been going for you?
1: Fantastic.
0: Good. We understand you did the rim to rim to rim.
1: And it's uh, all Can your you tell wife's... us a
0: little bit about that?
1: Well, it's your wife's fault, for starters. Okay. <laughs> um, she was the one that gave me the idea. And it went, you know what? It, it went great. It, it went great. Everybody finished. Um, it was a long day, but it was amazing. We, we really, with everything that happened... I would say, end of the day, we got lucky with weather, with no one getting injured, with everyone finishing. Considering there was a hurricane in Florida, and so it was, uh, it was, a, it was an exciting week.
2: What is the rim to rim to rim?
1: Okay, so the rim to rim to rim is you. You can start at the north end or south end of the Grand Canyon. We started at the south end and started on the South Kaibab Trail, went hiked up to the north rim. And then back down and back up the South Rim via the Bright Angel Trail. So we, uh, it's about 48 miles.
2: Hmm. Wow.
1: With like 11, can- 12, 12, 11, 12,000 feet of elevation total.
0: Right. And that's each direction, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. Because we parked, you know, at the South End. So we had to get back to our car. <laughs> people, apparently not too many people go. You know, do the double crossing in one day. A lot of people go from one end to the other. They'll do just south to north or north to south, but that takes more logistics. In okay. my opinion, it's just easier to just park on the uh, south rim and uh go back. <laughs> just turn okay, around. Okay, so and go back. there
0: was no stopping. You just kept going. I
1: mean, there was stopping, sure.
0: <laughs> oh well, yeah, but you. There not an overnight. Like no, you overnight? Didn't... No,
1: no, yeah, we gotcha. finished. uh Well, there was a big group of us, so some people finished at 9 p.m. and then the other group finished somewhere between 1 and 1 30 a.m.
0: Got it. And how many were in your group?
1: There was seven of us. So six from Florida. Six of us fled the hurricane in Florida, which was a crazy process uh, in itself. But then we had a friend that lives out in Phoenix and joined up with him who had done it before. So he was kind of our guide to really kind of give us, you know, pointers and Make sure that we had, you know, knew knew the the little things that to know going into it.
0: Well, Joy, that sounds like an experience of a lifetime. And we also have Nathan Guerra with us. And Nathan, you are not even in the United States right now.
3: (laughs) No, uh, last minute decision to head down to Brazil, first time ever in the country. Need to. I was gonna do Iceman. We made a little joke uh, last week, and I was like, "Well, I guess I have to forego Iceman." And uh, Gabriella says, "Well, it's fine. You can come see the Firewoman instead." So that's what we're doing. Hmm. What Gab- is the
0: Firewoman?
3: <laughs> well, no, no other than Gabriella Schumann. That's. Oh okay.
2: <laughs> oh, that's great. Liz,
3: Liz will be very familiar with her, I think. Uh, <laughs> at least in at least in pedaling, so and virtually.
0: Very nice. Well, I hope you're enjoying your stay down there, and I hope you're getting some delicious uh, taste of Brazil. I'm sure the food down there is excellent, and the weather's nice. Literally
3: have, like, a gigantic steak waiting. (laughs) Like, the steakhouses Uh are, like, the thing. (laughs) nonstop being talked about and how many I have to visit. And then, like, last night, the pizza here is not like our pizza. Like, I don't even know how to explain – you just have to look at my Instagram. Like literally, they're they have like sweet pizzas, like pizzas that are covered in chocolate and what is that dulce something or I don't like like I mean just every kind of sweet you could put on it is on this pizza. And then the others and then the savory side was like covered in steak and cheddar cheese and whoa. I mean, it was, they, they are definitely interesting. They're, they're wild. They're, they're Brazilian pizzas. They're, wild. Yeah. they're very wild. Yes, but
0: are they good?
3: They're very good. Okay. Very, very good. But you also need to do a lot of riding while you're
0: here. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, cool. Well, everything's been going well for me. I've got my last mountain bike race of the year coming up on Sunday and excited about doing that. I also just ordered the Wahoo kicker bike. So real excited about that. Yeah, it's on sale, so. Cool, I have one one of those. those. Yeah, I've wanted one for a really long time and and the price was finally right, sort of. Still expensive, but way cheaper than it usually is. So they're clearing inventory, I suppose, for their version two.
1: Ken do you want to tell us about the mountain bike race that you did in I don't know pajamas or man oh pants?
0: yes, the Dad Bod Invitational Dad Pod, yeah. that is a downhill segment that these guys built called the uh Dad Bod and Misfit Mountain is like a local mountain bike apparel company, and they make silly videos every year for Christmas and stuff, and they're a great group of guys, and this is their third year of inviting. A bunch of people well not a bunch i guess there were 17 of us that raced and then there's a crowd everybody's drinking beer and watching this downhill run and i'm doing it on my little 100 mil xc uh mountain bike and um i had my dad bod uh pajamas which are like a silky material real nice real soft but how was it? how
1: was it biking in mine.
0: it was not great biking in them yeah, so. I wouldn't you know, fortunately, I hiked him up to my rib cage to keep him out of the drivetrain and uh just tucked <laughs> in my um, my, my, my dad's question odd shirt.
1: Was did you have bibs on underneath?
0: I did not have bibs on, but I did have a pair of mountain bike shorts.
2: So well, your yeah, daughter must have, have been space. very proud, Ken.
0: Yeah, so she was at a swim meet lighting it up. So she's killing it with swim team. And so I did the the, the swim team meets are all two days long. I did Saturday, my wife did Sunday, we divided and conquered,
2: So that worked out pretty well. Good for you. And Chris, how have you been doing? I should have been, uh, been doing okay, you know, trying to live my best uh, semi retired <laughs> life. I uh, got Road CC to pick up one of my articles. And I was pretty psyched about that because they don't do much in the way of virtual cycling. So that was cool. And I um. Cycling Weekly picked up uh, my hand cycle article, and I was really proud of that because I, 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 you know, I feel great for the adaptive athletes on Zwift and that they're getting represented, and I feel like I played a tiny little part in that. So I'm pretty cool. But the, but the, uh, the big news is, and Ken, I, I, I'm pretty sure that you might be aware of this. If, if not, I'm going to be the first one to tell you. My team won the ZRL.
0: Ooh.
2: Atlantic Open B1 Champs. Very Nice. It was, it was cool team? because... What's the
0: name of your team? Dirt OG. The, OG?
2: the Dirt OGs? You're not familiar with them? No, I'm familiar. I wasn't invited, which is weird, since I'm a Dirt OG you, at all. Yeah, I don't think that that was the only criteria. No, only kidding. Um, oh, you got to be fast also. My bad. Well, the uh, it's. I guess it's all, not all about winning, but anyway... I, um, the, the guys held it down for me because I was still recovering and trying to build up from my ride across the country. And then I was able to contribute towards the end, cool. which was, uh, which was pretty cool. But, uh, speaking of building up since the summer, um, it'd be a great time to introduce our guest because she has been whiting it up, uh, since the summer. So, Ken, take it away. Sure. We have our first repeat guest on the
0: podcast. We have Liz Van Howling with us today. She's been doing great in the, uh Zwift Academy uh one of the finalists and she's got some other accomplishments that uh have have happened since the last time on our podcast so Liz how are you
4: yeah I'm doing doing well thanks for having me yeah
0: yeah well it is great to have you back and we want to hear all about your adventures since
2: I guess it's been what last November is
0: that right Chris
2: um well it was after the uh the world champs that we spoke to Liz last but okay okay you know I um yeah, I, uh, I got to visit Liz. My, uh, my route across the country actually took me right to her town. So I visited her on day 36 of, of my adventure. I, I'd ridden uh, 2,500 miles and, and climbed up, got like uh, a lot of feet before then. And uh, we were able to uh, visit the, the Van Howling compound. It's beautiful, really beautiful. Very nice. So it was in a really nice part of Iowa. And I got to meet her her husband, who is uh, her husband, Ryan, who's is, is a great guy. I felt bad for him. He was he was uh, recovering from a, a motorbike accident of his own, Ooh. and uh, Liz has two really beautiful young children. And my my wife just just ate them up. It was a nice little diversion for her after hanging out with uh, two old grumpy guys for uh, for a month. So that was cool. Thanks for having us, Liz.
4: Yeah, so good to meet you.
2: We we, we pulled up with the uh, the Schwank tank, the thirty foot RV, and parked it in her driveway. The driveway is like a mile long. She's so got a pond in the back, and a uh, and a lake for when the pond isn't enough. It's, it's uh, it was really really beautiful. Very
1: nice,
2: <laughs> very nice. So, Liz, what have you been up to
0: since you were last on the podcast? We caught up with you shortly after the World Championships.
4: Yeah, um, this past summer, I wanted to do more in real life racing, but I always come up with life excuses. So I didn't actually race outside um, at all, which I'm a little sad about, but I rode outside when I could and just for training and did a lot of really nice gravel riding, getting up early and seeing the sunrise. It was good to learn to appreciate riding slowly outside again. So I felt like that was just like a huge mental um, highlight for me over the summer. And then I just did a lot of Zwift racing still. It's always a strange time in the summer with not as many people. So it was fun to do uh, some smaller races. uh, that You could actually try different tactics. And I'm not winning most A races with men, but if there were only five or 10 people, if I got lucky, (laughs) depending on the field, um, it was fun to just like actually be competitive in some of them. And then Nathan started a lot of the, the Wednesday world stuff in the summer. So there was also some big races with super high quality fields. So I still got in a lot of, um, a lot of really, really hard fast races. So yeah, over the summer, I just did lots of racing on, on Zwift and riding easy outside. My new philosophy is intensity inside, only easy outside. Nice. <laughs> so that's what I did. All summer. It's
0: actually a really good strategy. And in, in one, that, well, as of recently, I've been doing just the opposite, which is on the Monday through Friday, just riding easy, um, trying to work on some other fitness goals and then going outside and riding really hard on my mountain bike on the weekends.
2: Well, you know, the, the, a lot of people will see, see Liz and know she's been ranked number one since the summer and they, they don't really know that she does have a, you know, a, a pretty, um, pretty incredible outdoor career. And, and one huge highlight was, uh the uh, 21 USA Crossnats, which when we spoke last, that had already occurred and we didn't know anything about it. But I'm, I'm really interested. Tell us about the experience, Liz.
4: Yeah, it was a last minute decision to go. I felt like Swift prepares you well for cyclocross racing for the, the fitness side of it. So I just decided last minute to go. It was in Chicago, which was only five hours away. And I did the master's race and yeah i got the whole shot uh built up a a 30 second plus lead and then just slowly started to freeze (laughs) inside and out and my my brain and my body basically were shutting down and then yeah i got caught rode the last lap with the girl and then uh got out sprinted by a tire width at the finish line and got second Um, and actually ended up with frostbite that took about six months to recover from so that maybe contributed a bit to my lack of enthusiasm for racing outside this past year. Um, but it was still an incredible experience. And I'd love to, when the stars align, try to go get a Stars and Stripes jersey. It is still a huge goal in my life.
2: So, so if I am if I have the dates right, that means that you were climbing up that final climb during the uh, Esports World Championship with, uh, with Frostbite in your feet.
4: Yeah, it was awful. The standing high power efforts hurt super bad. I think because your toes were getting smashed towards the front of your shoes. So it wasn't yeah. until I kind of quit training for that as hard I think and let my toes actually recover that they started to get better by about May.
2: It's uh, it's pretty amazing, and you are the best U.S. finisher as well.
1: So, how so? It took how long for you to recover from frostbite? Like six months. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea you ever had that.
4: Is it? And it's just sore toes. That's all mine was. And they were like, yeah, discolored. And I could hardly walk after I rode my bike sometimes because the shoes aggravated it so much riding.
0: Well, Liz, I'm glad that you've made a full recovery or mostly a full recovery from uh, frostbite. So, what was the timeline? What, what month did that take place in? um proportion to the or in relation to the e-cycling world championships.
4: So the Cross Nationals was early December and then Esports Worlds was late February.
0: Okay. Gotcha. And then after the esports world, uh what was the, the next event for you? Was that when you just were doing a lot of the outdoor riding and then um, the, the occasional Zwift race inside, like more unstructured?
4: Yeah, I did the next ZRL season with the men's A or mixed A team. I felt like after worlds, I'd lost a lot of that high end power. So I went to go back to mixed racing more to try to get that back. Um, so I did that until May and then it got nice outside. So yeah, then I just rode outside and Zwift raced inside and probably overdid the indoor Zwift racing a little bit much over the summer when it was beautiful out. Yeah, no,
0: it's really easy to do. And how would you split that up? Like, um, For me, it's more practical to ride on Zwift on the weekdays and then get out on the weekend.
4: Yeah, it depends on my work schedule, my kids' schedule, my husband's schedule. We just have to work around it in general, I would ride outside early mornings on the weekends when I could. Um, So if I wanted to do like an easy recovery ride, if I didn't have early morning appointments, I finally bought a bright headlight so I can leave the house by 5.30, 6, as long as it's just an hour, hour and a half at the most to get back for the kids waking up. So early mornings or or weekends, and that was still early mornings because you still are busy on the weekends. (laughs)
0: No, I can definitely understand that. Um, Did you get to do a bunch of mountain biking?
4: Not too much. You have to drive to get to the Mm. mountain bike trails from here. So it's just more of a production. We did take a trip to Colorado. My husband and, and kids and um that was actually where ryan broke his ankle Oof. on the motorcycle but we did get to do quite a bit of fun mountain biking together out there and then once he broke his ankle i got to ride it by myself so that was fun riding in new places navigating hoping i don't crash
0: <laughs> nice so um what i mean what exactly happened and and how is he now
4: yeah he was on a dual sport motorcycle when he probably should have been on a dirt bike so it, it was a little heavier and then he was off on the single track because he's a mountain biker and mm-hmm. he probably should have been on like the forest roads and then there was a bunch of down trees in front and he braked hard and slid his rear tire Oof. and uh, his foot was backwards and then the motorcycle fell on his foot ouch but he's doing better now okay. he can he's not back to running but he's ridden and even clipped in on a
2: bike nice so he's doing better he was hobbling around when we were at the house and I guess, I guess that was the middle of the summer. So you were already, um, I think you might've been ranked number one at that time was you were, you were doing a lot of racing with, uh, with the, the mixed men's fields and getting a lot of ranking points. And like, I know that, uh, towards the end of the summer, when you were, when you were doing all the, uh, testing for the Zwift Grand Prix and things, you ran into a, to a, a little bit of a, uh, kind of a rocky transition there as uh, you want to talk about that a little bit
4: yeah so i did all that racing and then i kind of got burnt out on racing and decided i was going to take the month of september off and i knew we were going to have all the grand prix stuff coming up so i wanted to just get in the right mental state for that and so we got the new rule stated that we had to ride trainers that were stated as one percent accuracy and the ones that the sarah Snowpins team had the h3s were two percent so we got a new h4 trainer which met the criteria and then had to do all of our zada testing and everything on that and then when we all got them a lot of people started having problems and some people's were okay some people's were moderate some were really bad so i kept thinking i just had to like ride ride it longer and break it in um and it was pretty stressful for a time. I even got just a completely different one from Matt Gardner because he lives in town here and got an extra shipment of like 10 more H4s. So I did all the ZADA testing on one of them and it was really bad. And then I, a week later, went and got another one and did all the ZADA testing again on that one. And that one seems pretty close. If I like actually warmed up for 25 minutes and did some efforts and calibrated it, it seemed like it was reasonable and I felt mostly confident enough. I don't usually warm up, so it was really annoying to have to, to do that every time, but I felt like if I followed these steps and it was gonna be okay to race in the races that I had to do it. I was switching back and forth between the H4 and the H3 still because for the other stuff, I didn't wanna have to warm up <laughs> that long. Um, but yeah, so I was just a lot of, of trainer switching and then yeah, rode the H4 for the first Grand Prix race and got my results annulled because they said I had a trainer malfunction. So There were a few times that the power spiked on the trainer that was uh, a lot higher than what my cork read. And then it also goes to zero a lot more often. Um, So the numbers weren't like that far off, but there were a few instances that the trainer spikes really high and then it almost overcompensates to go low. So your average for like Five to 15 seconds isn't much different, but there might be an initial one second spike that is significantly higher on the H4. So so then I got rid of that after I got annulled and I did have a, a kicker that I originally bought before I joined Sarah Snowpins. Um, so I got to do Zada again on the kicker and I have been riding that since for everything. So no more trainer hopping.
2: <laughs> I can imagine doing the Zada test once. Like I, I try to avoid it at all costs. I have to do it two times. And then I have a feeling that the uh, Zwift Academy is a more of that same kind of testing. So you've had, you had your fill of, uh, of that testing, I'm sure.
4: Yeah. And so during this whole time, I, I also wanted to do Zwift Academy. So take a break from racing, like don't stress out about anything and just do the, the workouts. I thought it would be super, uh, not really relaxing, but a good different challenge for me. And then all the trainers were reading differently, so I was like trying to figure out what my FTP was supposed to be for each trainer (laughs) I was doing too. Um, So yeah, it's been a lot. I rode four different trainers during the whole Zwift Academy month of September experience.
3: So Liz, I have a question. As an athlete for myself, I get really frustrated with all of that. It sounds like a very frustrating experience. don't you just wish you could just use your cork? I do. I very much do. Yeah, okay. thanks. I mean, I just want a plain answer like that probably. <laughs> but, but because, I mean, for me as well, I just, like, I have a, I have two corks at home. They both read super well. I have one on my mountain bike, one on my road. And um, it's like, there's, um, how do I say this? Uh, I was talking to somebody about it a few days ago and um, their response was, I think it was Dave. It was actually Dave Toll. He was like, yeah, that's just what cork does. That's all they do. They just make a power meter. So it works well. Like, and trainer companies, I mean, they need to do power resistance and they have this whole thing going on in order to get power, but it still isn't um, a strain gauge direct power meter. And, The way that we have our current, you know, this is all my opinion, but the the way we are currently building our verification systems around what might not be the highest level of technology around measuring power just seems really odd to me. I'm just wondering what you think about that, Liz, from your experience here, because you just went through a a really difficult, frustrating experience because of the way that this is being built up.
4: Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, obviously we all want fair... Racing and dual recording makes sense. I I don't know what people do, but I'm told people still find ways around that. Um, and I, I understand different power meters probably read differently too. But it's also trainer companies can just say that their trainer reads within one percent accuracy. So I think it, that that rule is is a bit strange to me because who's to say what one percent accuracy is really. Um, and yeah, it's just been, I mean, all of this, all of the hoops you have to jump through to, to try to race at the elite level, sometimes it just makes you wonder if it's all worth it.
0: I can see that. But I, I, my question is, why can't you use an external power meter? Why can't you use a quark as your source of truth?
4: You have to do both. So the trainer has to be primary, and then you have to have another power meter as your secondary and they're supposed to line up close enough okay. that they I believe that you're doing what you're doing.
2: Sure, sure. Okay, that makes sense. So the, the husband and wife team, uh, Nathan, you'll you'll know how to pronounce their last name, Bjarheed, they're out of Sweden? Yeah, yeah, Bjarheed,
3: yeah. Right. They yeah. Just did, yeah, I know them.
2: Yeah, the two of them just did a, a research paper on um, the veracity of power meters um, and they actually published it to an eSports journal. And, and it's pretty interesting because they, you know, they, they, they like did the statistics for all the, the trainers and they, they all were in with a, a fairly decent, um, you know, standard of deviation. But they, the one comment that they did make is that there really is no standardization from one company to the other. They can make whatever claim they want because they're only really judging themselves against themselves. So, you know, there it's, it's kind of, it's like a, it's like a wild, wild west. When you come to the trainers, there's really like no, like set standard for, for what you know, the, you know, the accuracy really is. So it's kind of like you're, you're, you're making athletes adhere to a really arbitrary, you know, definition of what accuracy should should be. And it leads to problems like, like you guys are experiencing.
4: And then the other thing is there's no standard for what Zwift puts forth for what's acceptable and what's not. So it's not like they say, if your power meter reads within 5% of your trainer or within 3%, or for this duration, it has to read within this percent in this duration. So we don't even know what what's going to be what's going to get you in trouble and what's not. Basically,
2: yeah, it's uh, it's it's difficult. I'm sure it is. You know, the this, the uh, conspiracy theorists in me reached out to uh, to Matt Gardner, who you mentioned earlier, when when Saris when the guys pulled out. And I'm like, you know, it's it's got to be more than you just want to spend time with your family because you, these aren't new families; you've had them forever. So, and I'm, I'm I'm being flip about this, of course, that's the number one priority. But when you look back at the all the the, the issues that that the ladies are having, you know, perhaps the guys um, saw that coming, um, and if they did and pulled out, it's kind of it makes you think that maybe they should have queued you guys in also. But that's a that's a podcast for a different time, but. You know, so you got your stuff um, with the the Zwift Grand Prix worked out and you've you've been killing it. Um, And I'm really uh, interested in getting to uh, getting a feel for what you think of the different race formats and and how you feel as an individual racer racing on a team.
4: It's different. That is what I will say. I have not really enjoyed the super long aspect of it. The last race we did it was two hours from the start to finish and I raced less than 15 minutes during that. So as a racer with two little kids, what am I supposed to do the whole time? And then how do you keep your energy levels and your enthusiasm for racing that high that long? And then it's tough to even like watch your, your teammates the whole time. Cause I have other things to deal with. Like if I'm not racing them. Um, so I, I, I like that they're trying to change it up. I feel like there's still a lot of work to be done to make it um, more friendly for for fans too. I don't know that they want to sit there and watch for two hours when the, the racing, when it is happening, is super exciting. I think it's just a little bit too long. Um, so I think the format still needs changing a little bit to just keep the, the fans engaged and the racers themselves engaged. And I also think it it's, I like that, more people are contributing to the, the points, you have to have a very well-rounded team to, to do well, but we're also not racing as a team. And so you don't get to use your team's strength. It's more your your team, the individuals on your team and how strong they are, not not the team strength as a whole. So I wish that we could kind of combine that a little bit more too, to, to really feel like it's team racing.
2: Yeah, it's almost as if you're, you're racing as a team, but you're an individual racing as a team. So you're not actually working with somebody, but your points are going towards the team. It's kind of a, it's like a, it's like a weird dynamic, you know, it, and I could see how it would be difficult for you because it is very isolating.
4: Yeah, definitely.
2: Well, the Zwift Grand Prix is obviously, you know, very exciting, but the, but the, the biggest topic of news that's, that's uh, exciting in, in your life as far as uh, esports racing is being named a finalist for the Zwift, uh, the Zwift Academy. First of all, I'm super, super psyched and proud of you. It's it's an incredible accomplishment, um, but I know that it, it comes with a whole host of uh, other questions and things that uh, that we certainly want to ask you about. But th- the first thing I want to do to set to, sit, to uh, start it all off is: uh, when did you make the decision and why to uh, throw your uh, your hat into the ring for the uh, for the academy? Uh,
4: about a week before it started, I just decided <laughs> I raced so much and so hard all summer and it was so fun but I could just tell mentally and physically I was I needed a break from that and I don't make myself do structured workouts ever I've literally never done a a structured workout on Zwift before and so I thought that uh this was a good way to force myself to add some more structure into my life and then just hopefully mentally check out from from the racing for a while before the Grand Prix started again. And I knew I wanted to do well in that.
2: You might not you might not, Coach Liz, you might have wanted to keep that uh, that, that, one detail <laughs> to yourself. <laughs>
4: do as I say, not as I do.
2: <laughs> there you go. And I had read
0: that you made a difficult, uh, in the Zemmuteke article, that you made a difficult decision to forego racing in the Zwift uh, Racing League season. And was this just, what was really the driver behind that? Like the the fatigue, the stress of it, or not being able to focus on specific weaknesses?
4: Yeah, I was just doing too much on Zwift and I knew that I couldn't do everything. I love everything about it and I want to do everything. And we got our our H4s a week before Zada was due. So I had to get all that testing done right when Zwift Academy was starting. I do... uh. Well, I did my whoosh racing on Sundays, so every Sunday I was trying to race, and Zwift Academy or ZRL was on Tuesdays, and then Grand Prix was going to be starting on Fridays. So, and then you, there's like two to three workouts for Zwift Academy every week, and my legs don't have all of that in me as much as I wish they did, and I was already coming in with a huge amount of fatigue. So I just knew I had to cut out something and. Uh, I also found out that our ZRL team had to race uh, a Division One for A's last year. Or last season, we got to do two, and that was still fun. But I was a little afraid that Division One for A's was just going to be me hanging on, trying to not die the whole time, and not be quite as fun as the Division Two stuff was. And I did actually do one of the ZRL races at the end of the season after Zoot Academy was over with them, and it was fine. But I don't regret not doing the entire season because it was just hanging on, definitely not going for, for points on that.
1: With, with all this pressure, Liz, that you're talking about, does the pressure help motivate you or do you think it bogs you down and stresses you
4: out? Uh, different days I'll give different answers, but in general I would say I don't like pressure and it is yeah, a little bit much for me to, to endure at times.
1: So with that, also in making the decision to do the Swift Academy, do you have? Are you coaching yourself, or do you have a coach that helps you make this decision?
4: I'm still coaching myself. Um, I talk with Lee Wild a decent amount about about Swift racing. Um, but at this point, I yeah, I just am trying so to.
1: I, I know a little bit about this, and uh, and Lee coaching you and I'm pretty fascinated by it because Lee is technically not a coach but has been very successful helping you so I I find how fascinating that is that it works so well for you
4: yeah and I wouldn't say it's like a typical coach uh relationship he he was better at the the gaming side of Zwift when I was still learning so initially he helped me a lot with that and then the sprinting part um I was bad at sprinting so like a couple summers ago he really worked with me on sprinting on Zwift but um yeah I still I still am a bike racer at heart and I I know as a coach I know what I should be doing so it's it's a just a different dynamic than it's not like he's telling me what to do every day but sometimes it helps to have a person to to talk things through and and mentally get in a better place.
2: So then, getting back to the whole uh, the whole academy, you know, what was your main motivation? Like, did you want to just see if you could qualify? Do you want to be a pro on the road? What what is uh you know what's the uh what's what's the bottom line, Liz? Uh,
4: well, I never in a million years thought I'd get picked for a finalist. So, I mean, like I said before, I mostly just wanted a good excuse to not to make myself not race. I felt like I had to do something else or I was just going to get tempted into every race. And, uh, yeah, I, I haven't road raced in a very long time and I have two little kids. I live in the U.S. I, I have to be realistic about what I, I can do, um, as far as pro pro road racing goes, especially, but it's also cool to, I'm, I'm fitter than I've ever been in my life from Swish racing. I'm I'm better than than I was when I used to race on the road and outside and everything. So I think it's just gonna be a cool experience to see see what that fitness really is and how it translates to the road and to other people that that are kind of going through the same process. Well
2: it really is a tremendous opportunity and I, I you know I really hope that it, uh, that it is everything that you want it to be. And if you got that pro contract, that'd be great too. Um, you know, one of the things that I was curious about is, like, what is the qualification to, to be a finalist? Like, like the, is there a standard there? We spoke about standards. Does anyone know what it takes to become one of the five finalists?
4: No, I have no idea. They just, I, along the way, they kind of let me know that I was still on the running to be it. So I had to send additional information, more verification, more information about me, basically. So I think, like, twice throughout the month I did that. And then they call, They wanted to schedule, they like, said an interview for me. And so I thought I was going to have to answer questions and probably tell them that I'm not an idiot and can ride my bike outside was what I was thinking. And then they, yeah, it wasn't an interview. It was just a, a call to tell me that I had been selected as a finalist.
2: That must have been incredible.
0: When you were going through Zwift Academy, which I've not done this in, in many years, uh, it was a mix of, structured workouts and group rides and races. What, what did you enjoy about that? What were the difficulties with that? And of course, like they're doing these races at different times and that's another thing about the black box of how you qualify. How are they comparing the racers that win this race at this time and that race at another time? Anyway, just your insight on the actual rides themselves associated with Zwift's Academy.
4: Yeah, so they actually, I I have never paid attention to it before this year. So I think it was different this year than it has been in the past. But we did no races against each other. We did a baseline test on Legends and Lava with a VO2 max, a sprint, and a threshold, the volcano climb. So we did that at the beginning. You just go hard from the segments and you can go as easy as you want in between. And then we do that same thing at the end. So those are the only like course rides that you do that you have to sign up for a time but they have them like every hour for ever and ever so it was easy to to pick a time to do that and then the rest of them are just workouts so there were six structured workouts that you do and you had to pick like the long version of it so they try to make it uh more accessible to to more people so there are short versions of things too so to be to be considered for the the pro contract, you had to do the long version of those. And then there were two additional workouts that were more testing, I would say, than workouts, but it told you what to do. And you would have the trainer on ERG mode, and then it would shoot it into free ride. So you had to do uh, kind of testing efforts where you had to shift for those two additional workouts.
0: Did you hit any personal best?
4: No, no, I, uh, actually my one minutes were very good, but this whole time I'm also dealing with, with four different trainers and God knows what else. Um, so I was just floundering the whole month. I felt like trying to get through everything, but my one minutes were actually really good. I did a 9.5 watt per kilogram, one minute, uh, Ooh. one of those, one of the pro contender contract ones. Um, but then you, yeah, it was just like, do I trust this data and everything? So it was a, a bit of a stressful time. But what I did like about it was that it wasn't the, the race time. So since it was just workouts, you could do them whenever you wanted. So it was nice to get up and drink however much coffee I wanted for however long and not be like, okay, at this time I have to go on my bike. So it was nice that I could just do them by myself, not talk to anyone, not deal with anything else uh, in my basement.
2: Didn't a lot of people have trouble with the first set? Like they had to do them over.
4: Yeah. Also, so the,
2: wasn't it like that was like a whole thing?
4: The first baseline that was another thing I forgot about that. If you tried to do the baseline test on the first day, they had the workout as banded, and so it was pulling people back. So everyone's time was like relatively close up the up each seg- of <laughs> the segment. So if you wanted to do the pro contender one, you had to redo it. And I actually started one of those baseline rides and. I had, I was coming in with so much fatigue. I went like 20 seconds up the first segment and I said, screw this. I quit. I'm too tired. I'll do it. Another <laughs> so I was so glad that I did not go through that whole thing for nothing.
2: So someone was watching over you for yeah. your uh, H4 debacle. Good for
0: you. So the when you say banded, this is the, when you, in certain group rides, as long as you keep pedaling, you will stay with the group no matter what output you're doing correct
4: correct and it kind of can still stretch out a little bit but mostly people stay together okay and so
0: that is what happens so not much of a test when you know everybody is on the same time
4: so people people's power would be accurate but their times would be off and then it would be you'd have to take longer than it would be or, or or slower so yeah it was it was all messed up
2: so have you had an opportunity to speak to any of the other uh, any other, other finalists? I know, like, last year, it seemed like all of the riders were from either Europe or Australia. There seems to be a pretty decent mix. Have you spoken to any other girls at all you, who you're going to be spending a week in the house with?
4: Yeah, I've talked to Elena Wuyan a couple of times. I hadn't really talked to her prior to this, but I've raced with Kristen Kulczynski and, and talked to Josh Lipka a little bit. And she's on the 2024 team with him. So they told me about that and, and she reached out, so we chatted a little bit. I've also raced with Sherrod Donnie a few times, and I've talked to her director, actually. I forget what his name is, but the Team Italy director. He messaged me on Facebook to, to say congratulations. And I haven't talked to her directly, but talked to him some, and I have no idea who the other two are. I've never seen them on Zwift ever, so we'll see. We'll see what that's like. <laughs>
2: Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Like it, you know. The like I, I spoke about being a conspiracy theorist. You know, I just, it's hard for me to kind of separate the the marketing op um, from the the rider opportunity in this whole thing. And it's just, it's it's kind of like it. It's a, that's an interesting thing to think about. But let's not think about that. Um, so um, the we mentioned being in the house for for five days, and you know, it's it's at its essence, it's really a, a reality show. So. Like, has has anyone come to your house to do any background um, with you? And then, you know, what's your feeling about the whole reality show uh, dynamic once you get to Spain?
4: Yeah, they said they were going to send someone from GCN to my house this week to video, like, writing on Swift and outside. But I have yet to hear back again about that. We are not honestly getting many details about anything involving this yeah. whole process, which is also slightly unnerving. And then as far as when we're there, yeah, I would say I want to go there to ride my bike to have an incredible experience and, and, and see what I can do. The cameras in my face are not my favorite thing. That's not something that I'm looking forward to at all. So my goal is just to avoid the camera as much as possible. We'll see how successful I am with that.
2: Yeah, I'm not so sure you're going to be able to, like, the, I, I watched the, all the episodes again uh, this morning, actually, when I was doing some uh, some uh, long Zone 2 ride, and they, they got the rider of the day, they have your your field tests out there for everybody to see, um, you're living together, they're doing eliminations, they're, they're like, I think in one of the episodes, I wanted to throw my remote at the screen, because after doing a four-hour four hour training ride, then they they sprung like a hill climb time trial on everybody. Like, I just like, it's kind of like a, like a made for TV type of thing. You know what I mean? It, it, it puts a tremendous burden on you, on the, on the athletes, you know?
4: Yeah, it definitely does. I had a few uh, Claire Cameron races with the Sarah Snowpins, right? Girl, she is teammates with a few people that have done these, the Swift Academy finalists in the past. And so they reached out and gave me some tips and basically I, yeah, it was, be yourself try to avoid the drama and and don't don't get on the camera all the time.
1: <laughs> and when when do you go to Spain?
4: My husband's actually going with me, so we're going to go out a week early to hopefully get over jet lag and have some time to ourselves. So we fly out Sunday together and then we have to be or I have to be at the house that Friday and then challenges start Monday. So it's Monday through Friday that following week our uh, or when the challenges are.
1: And where in Spain is it?
4: Uh, dania near Valencia. I don't know my Spanish ge- geography, but in the past it's been on Mallorca, but it's on mainland Spain, somewhere near the coast this year.
3: So what um, discussions have happened in-house about if this happens?
4: Uh, a lot. And I kind of think that um, I mean it took a lot for me to get to this point to even be okay with going there and I think I feel better that Ryan's coming with me that I have his his support and if anything were to happen that I don't like, I can just leave and have someone to go to go and be with um, but I also think I, I'm kind of going in with the assumption they're not going to pick the 32 year old with two kids (laughs) to be a pro, which is maybe a, a bad, bad assumption, but I, I have to be realistic about what I can do. So I also need to just see what, what their expectations are and, and communicate. And I would imagine they would have to let you know, like what that is prior to, to all of this. They can't just say sign this and then you, you sign your life away, you know, um, So, so I, I, yeah, it's, it's been a lot and I I can't say that it's my, my biggest ambition ever to go be a a road pro at this point in my career. If I were 15 years younger, I would have loved this or 10 years younger. Um, but it's, yeah, it was too good of an opportunity to pass up and, and I just want to kind of see, see what happens. Is
3: there on that front is like, let's say you're the best performing, and you know all every single box is ticked. Other than the reality as a father, professional racer that did that thing for a long time, I get it. And the reality of trying to be a part of Pro Peloton, which is mainly European, is very. It's just not a reality in a lot of ways for Americans. Um, there isn't a lot of racing that you can represent your pro team with on the north american continent which makes things really difficult then to play that role if there is a comp will you seek a compromise like or with, if they are willing to compromise i mean are you planning for that you know what i mean are you like well maybe or is it kind of like nah? like like there's like is there a little bit of something that's like well there could be something here still inside of you yeah,
4: yeah i mean i i still have that fire i still i still want it Um, and I don't want to go knowing that I'm taking that opportunity away from someone else too, because that just makes me feel awful. But I, I know I can't go live in Europe and race full time. I'm not, that's not, honestly, I don't think that's ever what I really wanted. I didn't love road racing enough to want that kind of lifestyle. Um, but, but yeah, I would, I would love if there could actually be a compromise and I could, I could get something out of it and. Do stuff here, race on Zwift still, like I, I I still want it. I still have a huge passion for it.
3: I think last thing on that, from my perspective, that's a really cool story, anyways. I mean, to be true, to be real, like there, there's two different things happening here, right? For Zwift. One of them is let's it's a great discovery platform, right? And that's one of the and it's an opportunity, provides opportunity. Um, and it's also a marketing tool that like we just have to be honest, right? And so, what better marketing tool than your mother, too, who can go do something that looks like pro racing, right, off of the Zwift Academy and the discovery of that? I mean, that's that's a that, and of course, the pro team that you would be riding for wants to get something out of it, too. But we see all these situations like EF has. Riders doing a, what looks like a privateer program at this point sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, like and, and getting representation still out there for the name of that team. And we see a lot of these pro teams throwing people into gravel races and whatever it might be, where it doesn't seem like it's a part of that pro peloton UCI system quite as much anymore. And so I just hope, and from my perspective, that if you are the strongest rider, there's an opportunity still there for you to show off what has been discovered through the Zwift Academy. And it isn't just this more traditional thing that doesn't fit a box. Cause I'm not sure that this whole Zwift Academy thing fits that box anyways. So anyways, that's, I, I just really wanted to know about that because it, it um, that is a tension that it creates naturally.
4: Yeah. And I think, like I said, I don't like pressure. And so I think I'm hoping that because I don't have this, burning desire to go race full-time in Europe, and I have to win, win, win this contract, that it'll help me relax and enjoy this experience more. And then anything that comes out of it, if, anything they'll let me, if I if I win, anything they'll let me do is just icing on the cake. And, and hopefully that can be an inspiring story for other people that it's not, there's not one way track that, that you have to follow to have crazy cool things happen and, and achieve lifelong dreams.
2: You know, when, when you had written that article about the, uh, the cross nets and it was, it was kind of the theme of it was finding a balance between outdoors and indoors. So now you're at that, the, uh, you know, doing the, uh, the Zwift Academy and things, and there's the the esports world championships are coming up, right? Is that still a priority for you? You know, you, you came in fifth last year, you know, you had a great showing that that's something that's attainable. Also, you could be a world champion, right? Wow. So like the, the dates don't don't kind of don't jive, right? Because the the qualifiers are on November 12th. You're going to be there. Is there going to be a, a, a chance for an exception? Like, like what is that? Uh, has there, that been spoken about at all?
4: Yeah, I asked the Sports Academy people when they told me the dates about that and they talked to USA Cycling. So I'm going to have to petition my way onto the team or if last year they had like a race on RGT that you could qualify in on a different date. So I'm hoping that I can get on in, in some manner because I am going to miss qualifiers. And that's been my since worlds last year, that's been basically my only goal is to to get back and win a world championship. And they announced the format and a couple of months ago and that was super motivating because it seemed like something that I could legitimately win. So that is definitely still still a huge goal, goal of mine. And I hope I can get there.
2: You know it's interesting because we've had a, a couple of the uh, you know top level e racers as guests, and last uh, last month we had uh, Lionel Goujouson, and he says that's that's all he uh, lives and breathes is being a world champion. You know, it's it's, and I think it's great because you know if you would have asked anybody who races on Zwift, you know, two or three or four years ago, you know, what's the World Championships and what does it mean to you, and they would say, "Would I don't I don't even know what you're talking about," you know. So there there's been a huge evolution there in the uh you know the in the esports as a whole and and I think it's great.
4: Yeah, it's cool that that we get a world championship opportunity too. I mean, and it's it's Whisters that can that can win it. It's not necessarily the the world tour racers that are winning every year,
0: which is cool.
2: Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Well, We
0: are all going to be rooting for you as you go on this next adventure. I was watching the reality show this morning on YouTube that that Chris had sent us all, and I was like, wow, this does look like a lot of fun. I will say that I thought making those women ride up that hill at the end of a four-hour ride in a fixed gear, they took the batteries out of all their Di2, that was kind of...
2: That was kind of good
4: I'm all about idea. that. I feel like I'd be good at that okay, job. Okay, well, so I hopefully, we'll that. yeah, uh, maybe, yeah. We'll,
2: <laughs> maybe we'll publish this after that. I think you'd be good at any yeah. of them. The, the, the thing that I didn't like was that they had uh, one, of the, uh, like one of the, I guess, one of the, the DSs from the team, like, leading the girls out. And I'm like, I hope Liz just, like, toasts that dude. Like When they when that guy goes to pace him, I hope that she just, like, rides away from him. Yeah,
4: I'm not yeah, sure. It's kind of
2: like a like a slap in the face.
4: If it's been a four-hour ride and we're having to do a 15-minute climb, not really my forte, so we'll see about
0: that. (laughs) Very nice. Well, we're very excited for you, and we're going to be wishing you luck, and thanks for joining us today. And I think Chris has a Dirt Dad Fund update for us that he wanted to share.
2: Well, I just wanted to say one other thing that um, in the uh, the eloquent words of, of Dave Toll, Um, I'm a huge fan of of everything that Liz Howling is about, and especially that she's a member of the Zwift Communique family. Thanks a lot. I I thought that was great in the broadcast last week. But yeah, so the the Dirt Dad Fund, like everyone knows that the reason why I do all this stuff is to raise awareness of the Dirt Dad Fund. And we um, created an online store that was uh, in partnership with Pedal Industries. And I spoke to the CEO last week, and he said that if you're interested in getting any uh, Dirt Dad Fund merchandise from, from the uh, pedal Industry store, you have until November 10th if you want to get it before Christmas. So if you're interested, get your orders in now and you'll get it in time for the big day. And I, I really appreciate the support from everybody. And I, I appreciate everything that uh, the uh, Virtual Velo Podcast does to uh, promote the Dirt Dad Fund as well. Well, thanks for all you do, Chris. Aww. Thank you,
0: everybody, for joining the Virtual Velo Podcast and especially to Liz Uh, We're going to be keeping an eye on everything that happens. And we hope that you will all join us again for our next episode, which will be back soon.